Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright. This is the video teaching series, The Love of God. This is part four of that series, and this is lesson six of part four. Part four is uh, focusing on the compelling power of God's love. And uh, starting with the last lesson, lesson number five, uh, this is, there are three lessons here in a row that are progressive and they're called the three dimensions of a burden. And in part one, we talked about being involved in the work of God and obeying God for the purpose of being saved ourselves because we're all going to be judged by God for the stuff we've done in our bodies or not done. In Jesus' name, because the scripture says, he that knoweth, knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. But this is the second dimension of a burden. The first dimension, we're involved to save ourselves. The second dimension of burden is to save the lost from hell. It really is where we begin to be truly unselfish. And so I'm reading 2 Corinthians 5. I'm reading verses 9 and 10 from the last lesson and verse 11. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, Excuse me, whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Uh, Amplified reads it, there, reads it this, this way, therefore... Being conscious of fearing the Lord with respect and reverence, we seek to win people over to persuade them. But what sort of persons we are is plainly recognized and thoroughly understood by God, and I hope that it is plainly recognized and thoroughly understood also by your consciences, your inborn discernment. And then finally, we says, knowing therefore the fear of the Lord, we persuade men of our sincerity and integrity but to God, we have been openly shown as to our character, and I am hoping that we have been openly showing, shown to be what we are in your consciences. I'm really going to focus on that first verse. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. The, uh, the Greek word there is phobos, P-H-O-B-O-S, which is... Uh, where we get the word phobia, and it's the word perfect love casteth out fear, First John 4, 17, because fear, phobos, hath torment. The word here is to be put in fear, alarm or fright, uh, that which strikes terror. And so knowing Again, we, the last part of this verse we read, uh, well, I'll read verse 10 again. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body and according to he hath done, whether it be good or bad, knowing therefore, or therefore knowing the terror of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. We persuade men. And the word there means to convince uh, and bring to a place of faith to persuade to induce one by words to believe uh, 
to persuade unto, move or induce one to persuasion to do something. Uh, that's why the Bible says, he that winneth souls is wise. Not by our humanity do we convince them, but our lifestyle and then our testimony and the sharing of the word of God with them is what convinces them. So that's the second dimension of a burden, that knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. <coughs> so the first dimension of a burden, I'm involved to save me. But as I'm involved and I'm growing in God and I begin to understand the things of God and the word of God, and I begin to really understand eternity versus here and now, and I begin to understand that uh, eternity is forever and there's no second chance, no second opportunity, uh, then I begin to want to see people saved to rescue them. It's the thing that would compel somebody to rush into a house where they don't even know the person inside, but they know there's someone inside that house burning. And uh, they go in there because there's a life and they don't, they want to save that life. Uh, a man kept witnessing to his atheist friend. And finally the atheist friend had uh, all he could take. And he said, if you talk to me about God one more time, I will never speak to you again. And the man said, well, okay, but let me ask one question first. He said, one question. If I drove by your house and I saw it was on fire and I knew that you and your wife and your children were trapped inside that house and I did nothing to get you out. I didn't call the fire department. I didn't try to get in the house. I didn't try to alert you. I didn't try to come in and rescue you. If I did nothing at all, what would you think of me? And his friend, his atheist friend, let out a long stream of profanity and said, that's what I would think of you. You're the lowest scum, piece of scum that ever walked the face of the earth. And his friend says, well, I thought you'd say that. So here's what I've been trying to tell you. Your house is on fire. Now, from the way I heard the story, the man and his family ended up saved because he finally got it. His friend wasn't trying to convert him to a religion. His friend was trying to tell him, your, your life, this life, this life you're living, it's on fire. You're going to be destroyed. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Some people have these just warped ideas of God. They didn't get them out of the word of God. They got them out of their own mind. Uh, they, they love God. They love God. And because they love God, uh, they love the God they have created in their mind for him to be. And, the God, and, and God is love, and he would never send anybody to hell. Uh, no, yeah, but we don't understand God. There is a hell. <sighs> Actually, there's two places. 
there's the current place, which is called Hades, or in Greek, or Sheol in Hebrew. And it is the temporary holding place for the unrighteous dead, and it's already a place of torment. We know that from Luke chapter 16, from the words of Jesus himself. And there's this other place for the righteous dead. It is called paradise. Uh, before the resurrection of Christ, it was called Abraham's bosom, but now it's called the third heaven. Same place, same people. The righteous dead are in this place, this resting place, this holding place until God wraps up his plan and we get to the great, great white throne judgment. Uh, that's where everybody is. The, the ultimate sentencing will take place. The scripture says, he that believes not condemned already. So it's not a matter of uh, God sending somebody to hell. A judge doesn't send anybody to hell or send it to jail. The judge only tells the defendant what the jury's decision was and then what the appropriate punishment would be for that crime. Well, God's already said in advance what the, the punishment is. It's not a question of him deciding to vary the punishment based on how he likes you or not or if he feels sorry for you or not. Hell was not created for man. Jesus said in Matthew 25, hell was created for the devil and his angels. So hell, that's not Hades, but it's Gehenna. That, that's got several descriptive terms to it. Lake of fire, outer darkness, a place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, place of hopelessness. And I'll get into some of that more a little bit here. Uh, but it's, uh, it's the permanent place. It's the place from which there will be no second chance. And I know that some churches teach in something called purgatory, which is a temporary holding place where you can suffer a while and come out of there and then be saved. No, the Bible says, as a tree falleth, so shall it lie. Whatever condition you're in when you die is a condition you're going to be in forever. Whatever condition your wife or husband is in, whatever condition your children are in, your parents are in, whatever condition your grandparents, your best friends are in. When they die, that's the condition they will be in forever. And if they die lost, so many people want to blame that on God. How can you do that to my, my, my sweet old granny? God didn't do a thing. He tried. He tried to save her. You might not have heard the story, but he tried to save her. Tried to call her to repentance. You see, you know her as a sweet old granny, but you don't know what she was in her teens and 20s and 30s and stuff that she did she never repented of and never told you about. Well, sin is sin, and the only way to take care of sin is repentance and water baptism in Jesus' name and then receiving the Holy Ghost. That's the only way you can take care of sin because the blood is applied in water baptism. That's why the Lord told Paul through, or Saul, who became Paul through Ananias, arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. It's not the water that washes away the sins. As when I obey him and I'm water baptized, his blood washes away my sins. But what if I don't want to do that? What if I don't want to do those things? 
Well, I can be a good person from man's perspective, but my sins have been unpaid for. And when God went to all the trouble, according to these teaching, the teachings we've been doing on the love of God in parts one, two, and three, when he went to the trouble of, of emptying himself of glory and actually temporarily becoming a man so that that man could live and then live sinless and die innocent and pay the penalty for our sins so that we would not have to go to hell forever. When God went to all of that and he did all that because he loves us and we choose not to believe in him, well, the verse says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But that's not a period there. The sentence continues that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a condition. And, of course, we need to believe as the scripture defines belief, not as we define belief or any church or denomination defines belief. We need to define belief according to the word of God. And it's to be born again of water and the spirit. And that's the, the gospel rendition of it. But there was no way anybody could be born a second time in the gospels. But Jesus was pointing to the day, and we know that from John seven thirty nine, was pointing to the day where the church would be born and we could then all be uh, born in water and the spirit, which is Peter explained it as repentance, water, baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost in Acts 2.38. Now, I can't believe that God would send somebody to hell just doesn't get dunked in water. I can't either. Because it's not about whether or not you're dunked in the water. It's whether or not you've believed God, and therefore if you believe God, and he is the word of God made flesh, then I can't believe God if I don't believe his word, and his word says for me to be water baptized. It's so simple a child can do it. I just have to believe enough to submit to it. But of course, that by itself is not enough. I've got to repent of my sins and be water baptized in Jesus' name. And then I'll also receive the Holy Ghost. If I choose not to do those things, it's not what God's doing to me. I did it to myself. That's why at the great white throne judgment, there's not going to be any debating going on. You can debate with him now about whether or not that's just and right, but when standing before him, when we see the whole picture and we see the choices we made and didn't make, and, and of course, the script, Paul said, some men are sent before them to judgment, the other men, their sins follow after them to the judgment. And there are some people standing there, we will never know what all they did because their sins have already been judged. Their sins were judged, so they didn't have to be judged. But for those who would not send their sins before through obedience to the word of God, repentance, water baptism, which is the and filling the Holy Ghost and living a repented life, those that wouldn't send their sins before, when they're standing there at the judgment, here comes their sins. And when everybody sees their sins and knows their sins, nobody's going to accuse God of being unfair and unjust. Even if that's your sweet old granny who never repented for the things she did when she was a teenager in her 20s and 30s and whatever else she did or didn't do. And that's why we see that, we feel that, 
And there needs to be some urgency in us to let them know, to reach them, to tell them, this is real. This is going to happen. And if you don't think it's real, all you have to do is make sure you never die, which, of course, we know that nobody has the ability to do that. Nobody has the ability to never die. Nobody. So since I can't keep myself from dying, I can tell myself all I want that nothing's going to happen after this. But that doesn't make it so. Now, I'm not a gambler. Maybe you play the lottery or you go play the slots or whatever it would be. Well, there's a worse gamble than all that. That's gambling eternity on the fact that all of that may not be real. That's a losing bet every time. And so, therefore, if we are if we are laboring so that we can be accepted of him, so that when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we won't be lost, in that process, we'll move to the second dimension of the burden because the love of Christ will compel us to move. And now we're involved with the lost to save the lost. We don't want them to go to hell. And you say, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. Well, in very brief summary, I'm going to talk about this. Now, now, on Apostolic Hour YouTube channel, there's an entire message on the seven horrors of hell. And it's one of the most watched messages on my YouTube channel. And it was ministered just as matter-of-factly as this. Why? I purposely kept the emotion out of my voice and out of my presentation because I didn't want anyone to think that I was manipulating their emotions. But as they heard the word of God, the fear of the Lord came in that house when I was preaching it. And I first preached that message as an evangelist back in 1970. And every time God has led me to preach that message, the fear of the Lord comes in the house. Why? Because when people finally know the terror of the Lord, they become persuaded. And if they don't, they are really in bad shape. That's why the devil has done his best to get preachers not to preach about hell anymore. We just don't talk about hell like we used to. I wonder why. Because we don't want to offend people. We want to let them come to our services so unoffended that they go to hell. Just like the man said to Joe, what if your house was on fire and I didn't do anything about it? Well, you'd be the scum of the earth, right? So here it is, Joe. Your house is on fire. Seven horrors of hell. Some of these have a couple of different elements to them. First of all is the fire. And if you go to Luke chapter 16 and read there, you'll see that the rich man had a beggar and it came to his gate begging food and alms. So the rich man was too busy and that guy wasn't important enough. His name was Lazarus. Well, there came a day that Lazarus died and it's very possible he died of hunger. And he was ushered into Abraham's bosom because apparently he was a person of faith. You say, well, if he had faith, how could he starve to death? Another subject, but it's absolutely in the book. 
it's possible. The rich man died. And the scripture says, And the rich man died, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. And at that point in time, before the resurrection of Christ, there were three compartments to Hades, or Sheol in Hebrew, the place of torment of fire, this great gulf, and Abraham's bosom, or the place of paradise. And the people in paradise, for the most part, could not see the people in torment, but the people in torment could all see the people in paradise. And the rich man shouted across this great gulf, Abraham, uh, send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his water, of his finger in water, and cool my parching tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Can you imagine how valuable that half a bottle of water would be in hell at one drop at a time? But of course, those in hell have nothing to buy it with. They have no currency to get that much comfort. You say, well, hell is horrible. That's right, because again, Jesus said hell was created for the devil and his angels. And since they are spirit beings and not fleshly beings, hell was created so horrible that it would be eternal punishment to spirit beings. Every human that goes to hell is an uninvited guest because hell wasn't created for you. In fact, for every person that goes to hell, every moment that a person is in hell, God will have to do a miraculous work of preservation to keep that flame from consuming the body. And it's exactly what happens. The scripture says it is everlasting fire. It is eternal fire. It is unquenchable fire. It is a lake of fire. You see pictures that some have drawn of hell. People are standing around with a flame here and a flame over here and whatever. And it's a horrible looking place. It looks like a pit. But it's you know, they're just kind of, what it kind of resembles is what the leper colonies kind of look like, except you added a little bit of, a few flames of, flames of fire here and there to let you know that it was a place of torment, not so, not so, it's a lake of fire. The fire surrounds the body. And even though the body's not consumed, it feels the pain. It's just exactly like your body would feel the pain right now if you took a match and stuck it to the bottom of your hand. So if you don't know whether or not you want to go to hell, I challenge you, get out your cigarette lighter or get a box of matches. Light the lighter or light one of the matches. Hold it like this and just put your hand on it and hold it there for 15 seconds without moving. And if you can, then okay, maybe you want to go to hell. But if you can't, do you really want to go to hell? You say, this, that's horrible. Yeah, it's horrible. Hell is horrible. Why is it so horrible? Because sin is that bad. Look at the lengths to which God went to save you and I from our sins. You read about the whole process. The fact that the one who created all this came into his own, 
came into the world. The world was made by him. The world knew him not. He came to his own. His own received him not. The world rejected him because they didn't know who he was. They didn't, re- they didn't know who, he, who that was. They rejected him. They rejected him. So he's... That rejection disqualifies me from heaven, and there's no in-between place. And man has no concept of the eternal consequences of some of the most small from a human perspective, not God's perspective, but small from human perspective, wrong decisions. They're such small wrong decisions, I don't ever bother to actually be honest about them and repent. The second horror of hell is that the hell is a bottomless pit. So it is a lake of fire that fills a bottomless pit. So with the first horror of hell, I'm burning all over my body forever. But the second horror of hell, I will be falling forever. I'm not going to have some place to stand like the videos that was was years before they were shown of the people that were trapped above the flame in the twin towers when they were attacked by terrorists. And it was only a matter that the fire department couldn't get to them. It was only a matter until they were going to die. And some didn't want to wait. They didn't want to die in the flames. They jumped out of windows long way down falling and to watch the videos I can't do it I watched a few seconds I couldn't take it the flailing of their bodies as they lived those last few seconds as they fell and the terror of falling why do you think there's people that have a fear of heights because we're fear of falling because we're completely out of control as we fall And no, you're not going to skydive in hell. Sorry. Not going to happen. So the falling, I will fall, I will be burning all over my body, first horror of hell, in a lake of fire that is fills up the bottomless pit. And in that bottomless pit, the fire won't be like water that I can feel swim in the water. It will be like fire, and I will be falling forever. There will not be anything there. And the Second problem, horror of hell, is Abraham said to the rich man, when the rich man asked for Lazarus to come and comfort him with a dip, just one fingertip with water on his tongue, Abraham said, Son, remember that you in your lifetime received evil things and Lazarus evil. You in your lifetime received good things and Lazarus evil, but now... He is comforted and you are tormented. So the seven horror of hell is your memory will be fully restored. Every moment of your life will be restored. And the things that you sold your soul for, you will see in a completely different perspective for the rest of your life. In hell. Hate it. Gihana forever. And then scripture says... The fourth horror of hell is our guilty conscience lasts forever. 
the King James way of expressing it was, where their worm dieth not. Their worm dieth not. The worm is that which eats at you on the inside. The conscience, the bad conscience is the worm that dies not. So not only will I remember everything that ever happened, everything I ever did, everything I ever saw, thought, all of my decisions and the consequences of those decisions, but I will also, I will also, uh, I will have the guilty conscience intensified forever. And I will play the what if game without being able to do anything about it forever and ever and ever. Revelation 22, 21 says, let him that is, uh, oh, I'm going to, I better read that one. That one's too important for me to try to quote here. Revelation 22, 20, uh, Revelation 22, 11 says, uh, he that is unjust, let him be, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. In other words, in hell, every single lust you've ever had in your life that you did not get victory over in God and therefore you followed those lusts to the destruction of your soul because you eventually gave yourself over to those lusts did not do the will of God, did not believe God, did not follow God. You are going to burn with lust forever with no satisfaction. So not only are you going to burn on the outside and not only are you going to be falling forever, but you're going to have a memory that remembers every second, every bad choice, every bad decision. And you know, you won't just remember them. You won't have pleasure in them. You will have a guilty conscience and you will know why you're there forever but you'll also at the same time burn with the same lusts for things and wrong things, uh, and, but there won't be any way to ever satisfy them again. They will be so intensified, you will about go out of your mind. Just that torment alone, you'll go about just about out of your mind with lust, with no way or hope of ever being satisfied. And then finally, the fifth horror of hell is it is outer darkness. Yes, you're in the midst of fire, a lake of fire, but that fire will not create light. Light is of God. This darkness is punishment. So it will be outer darkness. And the Bible talks about a darkness in the seven years of wrath at the last seven years before the Lord comes back with his church and talks about the darkness being so dark that people would gnaw their pain, their tongues in pain for the darkness. Well, this is the thing about outer darkness. You will be alone forever. You will never hear another sound for eternity but your own screams. You will not have people you will talk with, converse with, see it at, even at a distance, not in Gehana. In Hades, they did. In Gehana, you will not. There is enough room in that far reaches of the universe in outer darkness that no one will ever, you will never see or hear another person forever. 
And so not only is it dark and will you gnaw your pain, your tongue for pain of the darkness, but you'll be alone forever. And then finally, number six, horror of hell. Because the punishment is eternal, this punishment alone would be enough from my perspective. And that is there is no hope. And you all know that there is no end to this. And you will have no hope, but you won't be able to commit suicide. You will not be able to find any relief. So not only will we be burning all over our bodies forever, not only will we be falling forever, not only will we, will we be remember every moment of our lives with, with regret and guilt, all the opportunities we had, we rejected, and then we will feel that unsatisfied guilt that we can't get rid of forever. But we'll also feel all the lust and desire for things and other spirits and pleasure that we would not give up for God, that we're going to have that lust unsatisfied forever. We'll be in that outer darkness alone, darkness so dark that you gnaw your tongue for the pain of it and being alone forever, being finally hopeless forever, never getting out of it. But number seven is the worst. It's the second death. And that means you are separated from God forever. That is the second death. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Do you know why so many Christians don't want to know about these things? It's all in the Bible. Every bit of it's in the Bible. It's not a difficult study to find these things. But you know why we don't want to hear about these things? Because then if I knew about all this, then every time I saw a person, I would wonder, Lord, am I the one supposed to talk to them so they stay out of hell? And I had a burden like this. And it drove me, and sometimes it drove me, drove me to a point of distraction. And I drove other people with it. Because how could you not do that? How could you not be driven by this burden? And I was driven by it. I was driven by it. The fear of the Lord caused me to work for him so I could be saved. But in this, I was driven by the burden, uh, the feeling of responsibility that I'm saved and they're not, and I'm saved because... He made sure I knew, and, and I'm part of the plan for them knowing, and I'm not doing that, and so how are they going to be saved? And then, uh, finally, the love of God leads us to the next level of a burden, and that's what we're about to talk about. But if you're still in the first dimension, you haven't given yourself to God enough to really see to let him open your eyes so that you can see exactly what we're doing here. What we're doing here doesn't change in the second, the third dimension of a burden. It's just how we address that and how God works through it. Because in the second dimension of burden, we are giving our effort to see them saved. We're doing it. We're driven. It's our burden. It's our love for the lost. It's our sense of responsibility and urgency. And we have to go through this one so that we can fail often enough that we will finally come to the third dimension of a burden. 
In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I loose the spirit of revelation upon every one of us of the reality of the lake of fire, the bottomless pit, outer darkness, the place of torment for sin, and that this is real and that people we know are going there forever. And our responsibility is at least to let them know they don't have to. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, let your spirit come upon us right now, God, and open our eyes and let us see this like you see it so we will be compelled by your love to be involved in reaching them so that they will not go to hell. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.